My name's David. It is so good to see all of you all today. I see Al Duber on the front row right there, man. I'm telling you, this is a miracle right here. I'm going to call him Lazarus. He's come back from the dead a few times. Even though I don't actually see some of you on camera, we are honored and elated that you're here too. Let's welcome our online campus, still our largest campus. And for those of you watching on Star 64, again, huge audience, welcome, welcome home. We are honored that you chose to be with us today. We are going to have some fun, I think. Here's why. Lots of, I've been looking around our culture. Lots of things are broken right now, it seems to me. Stuff in my life is breaking. Just the last couple of weeks, I noticed it now it's starting to get hotter. Now my air conditioner in my car, maybe Al Duber can help me with that. Anyway, my, my air conditioner in my car is blowing out hot air on the driver's side, cool air on the passenger's side. That's messed up because that's kind of opposite the way Don and I like it. So my car's broke. I had to get that fixed. My window in my car was broke. I had to get that fixed. But anyway, it's not blowing hot air anymore. Someone said that's a lot like my sermons. You know, that, that's what they said. But I've noticed COVID guidelines are getting broken all the time. Do I wear a mask in this store or not? I'm just going for it. Do I, do I get a vaccine or not? But I've been thinking there's some other stuff in life that's broken that's a lot more serious. Some of our hearts are broken by a lot going on in our world that's messed up. Our way of interacting with civility seems to me is broken right now. Some of you in this room, your lives are broken, your marriages are broken. And for many of us here right now in this room and watching online and on Star 64, the thing that might be broken most is your finances. And it was likely, by the way, if you're broke, that's the name of our series, I was broke. If you were broke, you were probably broken before COVID. COVID just accelerated it. And I've struggled myself, honestly, with this huge American idol called money. I tend to love it more than I should sometimes. And if you say you haven't, you're lying, right? That's a whole other sermon for another day. So the question we want to try to resolve and answer, the problem we want to really dig down on the next three to four weeks is this. How do you fill empty hearts? Empty relationships, empty checking accounts, empty wallets. How do you break, how do you unbreak, how do you fix that which is broken? And for some of you, has been a pattern, especially financially, a long time in your life. Now, the temptation when you're broke financially is to clutch all that money. It's to hang on to it tightly. But I'm going to propose to you, John and I are going to propose to you before this series is over, that there's a better way. Jesus is going to offer a better way, and it seems, sounds counterintuitive. It's the way of generosity. It's unleashing that generosity, and when you do that, it will move you from I am broke to I was broke. And we got some witnesses in this room who started out, I was, I was, I'm not any longer. That's what we want to solve. That's what we want to help every one of us, including me, with. There's a book by that very same name that we're going to give out here in a few weeks to you. Get, make sure you have it. It's written by a guy named Joe Sangle. I love the title, I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Some of y'all said, give me that book right there. I can't wait. 
I was broke, now I'm not. Actually, Joe is going to be here in person. I heard him share his testimony. He's going to be here the first Sunday in June, June the 6th, to share his testimony, teach that morning. And then we're going to do what we call a financial learning experience that Sunday night uh, of June 6th. So get that on your calendar. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, no, here we go. It's a money-giving series, David. The budget must be low. Actually, we have had a wonder, we have survived COVID and thrived financially thanks to you. Could we do better? Yeah, but thanks to you. So I know some of y'all thinking something must be going on, something must be going on. Hang in there today because I want something for you, not from you. And here's the big question I have for you. How broke are you right now? How broke are you right now? And there are three different categories of people that I want to talk about today in this series, and I, I've got some props with me. These three categories of people are going to represent it not only in the aquarium, but in some plastic men. They're actually WWF action figures. This is my excuse to play with action figures. And I'm going to use these props to illustrate the three different categories of people that we have in this room and watching online. So bear with me, okay? These guys are going all in to some degree, okay? <laughs> the first category, now stick with me because this I'm getting ready to describe you. You know, this kind of looks like me and John Tizovich. We've been working out. You don't see it under here. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're buff and we're swole. Anyway... See, I can talk like John. Too. He doesn't. All right, the first category of people who are like, I'm calling it underwater. Underwater with their finances. Underwater at Whitewater, all right? Underwater. These are people, and you see my little action figure, he's like burdened by the chains and the weight of debt. And y'all can relate to this? Like every day, it's pressure. And what happens when you are weighed down, when you're underwater with finances? Here's what starts to happen. Are you ready? I'll pray for that. He in trouble. I just, that is a picture right there. Look closely. That's a picture of some of you all financially right now. You are underwater. You're broke and you know it. You're struggling to get some oxygen and life in your, in your finances. You're struggling to make ends meet. You got too much month left over at the end of your money. You probably got major credit card debt. More about that in a minute. You worry about money. You probably fight about money, which leads to the uh, unbelievable stress and usually divorce when you fight about it too much. You are literally drowning in debt. And what people who are at the bottom financially need, here's what they need, stability. They need some skills to pump oxygen back in their life and get them back to the top, back to the surface. We're going to give you those principles today and in this series. The key question, if this is you, how long will I stay broke? I just ask you. Like, how long do you plan to stay underwater. It won't be long. Eventually, your finances will pull you under. And I don't care if you're young or middle-aged or older age, it, it doesn't matter. You're going down, you're going under, because when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall, all right? Underwater. All right, there's a second category, though, of people in here. 
Let me get my little WWF man out here again. And I got, I'm going to, same guy, I'm going to put a little life preserver. These, these are people, these are category people, not underwater. It's not that bad. But here's what they are. They're treading water. Is that not the coolest guy right there? Man, we got interns here, you know, come in and say, man, I would love to do a job where I get to play, preach, serve God with action figures. I can't wait to email this wrestling guy, Tucker, and tell him you have no idea what you're doing for my sermon. But this is a lot of us right here. There he is. You're not at the bottom financially, but you're kind of treading water. You're not getting ahead. You're not falling behind. People in this scenario are not really desperate. In fact, they may not even be aware that they got a problem that they might be broke. If you're in this category, oh, you're making your payments on time. You probably have no idea what your interest rate is, but you're making payments. You're kind of going through life. You, you have a few extra dollars at the end of the year or the end of the month to go on vacation, maybe play the lottery, maybe, maybe, give, maybe. But you're probably not saving. You're probably not investing. You're just kind of floating through life, you know, and you're, you're probably having fun. Whee! Oh my gosh. But if you don't get out of that bubble, if you don't figure out a way to get out of the situation that you're in, you will move from... So he's coming up to say hi to you. If you don't get out of that, you're going to be at the bottom pretty soon. People in this category, they're not thriving, they're surviving. And what they need is not so much security, they need clarity. Clarity. So here's the key question for you today. Listen up as we go through. What kind of clear financial plan do I need to thrive with my money? Not just survive, not just float through. You will get that today. When, the key question for you in this category, when will I discipline my life to really get out of the funk that I'm in, or am I just going to float along? By the way, a lot of us were taught how to float growing up financially. For whatever reason, this is a cyclical thing, a generational thing. We were taught that debt is good. Your credit score is the biggest number and best number in your life. That is not correct. Some of us will have to relearn in this series things that we thought we knew, and that's why we're only floating. And that's why there's a third category, and I'm going to come back to those guys. I know you feel sorry for that guy down there in the bottom. Don't, don't forget about him. As I put the top on here, there's a third category of people here in this audience and who are watching online. Oh, they're not all the way at the bottom here, okay, but they're beyond just floating, these are people who are, this is what I'm going to call it, stick with me now, they're walking on water. Oh, this is so much fun. I could, I could even make him moonwalk a little bit. These are people who are not drowning in debt, they're not getting ahead, they're thriving. In fact, they're excited, let me put his hands up. Yeah, like, we'll see how long he stays there. This is a third category. Well, they're walking on water. They found a way to rise above the financial storms, the riptides financially, that pull everybody, suck them right under the water. 
And for those of you who have pulled yourself out, I know some of you in this room, you were here a couple years ago. Some of you are here, thank God. Some of you are now up here. You know what your job is, by the way, once you get up here? Do a deep dive back down and rescue those of us who are down here. Don't like, you didn't get here just for you. Oh, oh. Our job is to help share the wealth. I'm so proud of a lot of you who pulled yourself out of the generational tank where you were tanked financially. You're living above the fray. People in this category, by the way, though, at the top, they're doing well financially. They may not be making seven-figure incomes, but they pretty much have all they need and more. But here's what I found out. They're not totally free either. This is a minority, but it's some of you. People in this top of the heap category have figured out that they climbed the ladder of success, they leaned the ladder against the wall, but they found out they were leaning against the wrong wall. They're broken by another kind of financial bondage. I call it afflicted with wealth. Some of you say, I would love to have that affliction. Mm. People with money, if they're not careful, their attention is in keeping their money, hoarding their money. They worry about the future. They feel compelled to earn and rely on their money for security instead of the provider of that money who got them to the top. They're always suspicious of what the agenda is for the person who's down there or here who is asking them about money. They're afflicted with wealth. All kinds of problems come with wealth. That's how Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What they need to talk about is not so much security or clarity. People at the top, I'm talking to some of you online on Star 64 and in this room, what you need to talk about is your legacy. Key question in this category, what do I keep? What do I keep? Why did God bless me this way? For what larger purpose? Something that will live on, long, ripple out long after I'm gone. Now, we want all of these categories of people to make decisions and take some steps over the next month. We want to decrease the number of people who are drowning in financial debt. We want to decrease the number of people who are broke. We want to increase the number of people who are generous. Because Jesus said it right here in this chapter that we're going through. It is more blessed to give than receive. He's, it's the idea that our treasure is important, but making sure you have the right treasure. Solomon put it this way in the Old Testament in Proverbs. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. I love that. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And can I just say this? Poverty glorifies no one. It's not, you, you shouldn't be proud to live in poverty. We should not be proud of anybody. Living in poverty glorifies nobody. It happens. Some of us are there. That means you have to stay there. Yet gains even more. Another one unholds duly becomes a poverty. A generous person, those who are giving, will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Friend, I have not met a single generous person who is not prosperous. Not just financially, but relationally, emotionally, spiritually. Because generous people have learned that when they give, they are the ones most blessed. With generous people who give their time, their talent, their treasure, they tend to be rich and wealthy in what matters most. Here's how you know you're really wealthy, when it has nothing to do with your net worth. It has everything to do with being rich toward God. 
These words from Jesus and Solomon, I know what you're thinking. They seem counterintuitive, but God, much like we, really wants something for you, not from you. I know you're skeptical. I would be too if I hadn't tried these principles myself. I'm not teaching you anything today that I have not already tried and am trying to master. So I want to just kind of give you some believable lies right up here at the beginning at the top. Because some of you watching online, some of you who are brand new here to the church, you've never heard us teach on this. You've never heard me teach on this. I, I know that there's a trust issue here. Like, you know, David, it's, it's great you got all these action figures here, but I don't know you. Now that you've done played with these action figures, I don't know if I want to know you. I have to earn this. So I want to give you some believable lies right here because I've taught about money in this church family for almost 19 years. And whenever I teach on it, I know that the devil will feed you and whisper some lies that sound true, but they're not. C could I give them to you? Here's the first lie, and this is for all of us who are skeptics. All the church talks about is money. That's funny because we haven't done a series in this church on giving in a long, long time. And we seldom mention offering in our services you know what I think? I don't think the church talks enough about money. If you want to know the truth and how to manage it, that's why so many of us watching, so many of you Christians, are at the bottom here. You're broke. Think about it. Do you know a person who doesn't talk about money in some way every single day? Is there a family in this church? Is there a family in this city that doesn't have some kind of daily dialogue about the dollar? We talk about it, we make decisions about it, we argue about it, we divorce about it. Why wouldn't we talk about it here? It would be weird not to talk about it. <laughs> so we just want to normalize this conversation this month like we do everything else around here. And that, by the way, is why Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. You know that? He talked more about money than any other subject, and here's why. Heaven and hell stand in eternity, but what you do here on earth ripples into eternity. Some of us are in financial hell. Some of us may think we're in financial heaven, but here's why Jesus talked about it. Here's why we're going to talk about it. I hold in my hand a wallet. There's not much in here. I got some credit cards in here. I was thinking, you know, before the series is over, we'll just reach in the pocket and the pocketbook of everyone around us, pull out their wallet and give like we always wanted to give. That's what I was thinking we would, no, I'm, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm not, I'm. <laughs> this is important to talk about this because our wallet is the leather covering for the idol of our lives. Our wallet is the covering, the temple that houses the idol of our world. Would you not agree? Everybody's talking, thinking, planning, scheming for this. It's always been true. The second lie that the devil will tell you is that money and things can satisfy you. Oh, if I just had a new car, man, my life would be good. If I just had a new house, if I just had a new job, if I just had a higher salary, if I just had a new spouse, oh, no, no I'm sorry, that wasn't oh, supposed to be on there. 
If I just had something new, I would be satisfied. It's like destination disease. Once I get there, I'll be happy. As if happiness and contentment is just one acquisition away. But happiness is not found. I found out a long time ago. Happiness is not found in getting what you want. It's in wanting what you have. It's not about attainment. It's about contentment. Money and things will not satisfy you. The devil will tell you that, though. Number three, the devil will tell you, it's my money. I can do whatever I want. That's what the third believable lie. It's my money, David. Who are you to tell me what to do with my stuff? He'll whisper that into you like you're getting really personal, David. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit does when you're really talking about real life people and real life problems. We will not get out. You will not get out of there without some candid, frank talk. And it begins with defining whose stuff it really is. The truth is, even though many of you don't even believe in Jesus, you intuitively know this. The truth is that none of this is your stuff. Everything is God's. He owns, we manage. I love what Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is his. Okay, so show of hands real quick. Let's show you how this works. How many of you all believe that everything you have and everything you own is really God's? How many would raise your hand and say, everything I have and everything I own is really God's? Okay. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, we got to have a conversation. I'd like to see where your stuff is 100 years from now. Maybe 150. You, you don't own anything. Second question. How many of you think you can take your stuff with you? Anybody raise your hand here? We'll have to have another session, all right? No U-Hauls following a hearse, okay? Nobody going to the cemetery with that stuff. So if we know God owns it all and we can't take it with us, then let me ask, why are we so stingy? Why are we so tight-fisted with his stuff? This series will be about confronting these lies in particular, and we want to do it in the context of our yearly journey through three short chapters of Matthew's account of the greatest sermon ever delivered, the greatest sermon ever delivered, not the one JT did last week, although that was pretty good, all right? It's the one that Jesus gives. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to call it today the Sermon on the Amount. Say, David, that's cheesy. That's right, but you'll say it. You'll remember. <laughs> the Sermon on the Amount. Here's what Jesus said. I'm going to give you the principle, and then next week I'm going to give you the practice. Here's the principle. Matthew 6, this applies to every single person in every category in this aquarium. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy <laughs> We're cicaded. Where are those things, by the way? I, maybe you got them. I'm like, been prepared. they're coming. They're just coming this week. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and locusts destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, there's something about storing up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven are laid up as treasures on earth are laid down. Storm in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there what? Your heart will be also. I know this is true. Some of y'all got money in the stock market. You know what you're reading? Wall Street Journal. Some of y'all who like sports, oh, you're in the NBA, you know what you're reading? ESPN magazine. You're watching all the time. You're listening to Bloomberg. I'm into food. I'm into coffee. I mean, whatever you happen to be in, that's where your treasure is. That's where your heart will follow. And he says in verse 24, but no one, nobody, trust me, we've tried. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, Jesus, like this is so clear. Don't tell me Jesus didn't talk about money. You cannot serve both God and money. Bob Dylan said it best. You got to serve somebody. See, both money and God the Father are God's. And one will push the other out. They'll right-size it. One of the principles of getting out of brokenness, I once, I was broke, now I'm not, is trusting God's word right here. That's the principle. Now, I want to pass on to you today, as I finish up some things that I have learned the hard way, after managing my money and listening to you, moan about how you manage yours. I only have time to hit some highlights here. These are all based from scripture. If you're still skeptical, these work, whether you believe the Bible or not, whether you believe Jesus or not, this truth is truth. Even people are not like, I would call them giants of faith. Warren Buffett, other billionaires have committed to give a ton of their money away. Why? Because they realize generosity works. It's, it, they're not even doing it because of what Jesus says. They're doing it because they know intuitively it works. And it especially works if you're at the bottom of the financial tank. If you're tanked out financially, this is what I know. Let me tell you how, what you won't do to get out of debt, get out of financial bondage. Number one, you won't spend your way to financial freedom. Get rich quick schemes only feed greed. <laughs> I don't know how authentic to be with you, but I have fed some greed. I like get rich quick. I, it, when you're in a church, every person with an idea, whether it's a multi-level marketing idea, which is not bad about that, everybody's giving me every day. Some of them I've tried. Most of them have not worked. Get rich quick does not work. You won't spend your way out. You won't borrow your way out of financial freedom. You won't cheat. You won't steal your way out of the bottom of that tank. You can't count on the government. Are you with me now? I'm glad that they help incentivize and bail out a lot of stuff, but if your plan is to count on the government to get you out of the bottom of your tank, you're in for a rude awakening. In fact, one of the concerns I have is that we are no longer helping people by the financial incentives. We're disenchanting, disincentivizing people to get up. You won't get, <laughs> while I'm going deep, I might as well go. You won't gamble your way to financial freedom. Oh, got real quiet now. I know the casino is close. I continue to meet people all the time. David, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give so much to the church. Good for you. Thanks. Godspeed. 
But can I just speak to you from my heart? We don't count on things like the lottery, bingo, split the pot to fund and fuel ministry here for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's, that's wasteful. That's low bottom feeder stuff. We count on God providing through faithful generosity and money management of his people. feels like I'm begging when we do that. I appreciate the kind intent for some of you who say, if I win the lottery, the church will be out of debt. Great. I have a better question for you. How generous are you with the money you've already got? What percent are you giving away from that? And just an FYI, I've studied this, trust me. The chances of you winning the lottery is even smaller than the chances of me getting eaten by a cicada this week. I'm just telling you right now. You'd be far better off investing that money in the stock market, even in Dogecoin. Some of y'all say, David, do you know about Dogecoin? Oh, yeah. To the moon. And since I'm not Elon Musk, I'm not a big fan of Dogecoin either. The only... (laughs) Oh, man. The only lottery I encourage you to play right now is the $1 million vaccine lottery. That's the only thing I'm saying... I did enter that. The church will be out of debt some more. It'll be great. But I think God's like, David, what are you doing to help the campaign now with what you already got in that leather idol wallet of yours? So let me give you a very short list of what to do if you're at the bottom of the tank. I see some of you all, you're looking at each of these things, you think, which would I like to be. Which, it, where am I? Which one am I? So if you're underwater or you're treading water, and Sangle talks about this in his book, let me give you five quick things. Number one, make the irrevocable commitment to get yourself out of the financial mess that you're in. If you are drowning, stop digging yourself a deeper grave, admit it you got a problem, and then decide, you, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You realize, right, nobody gets better, nobody gets healthier without an attitude like that being employed. Some of us are going to have to fight. We're going to have to swim. We're going to have to tread hard, and, and we're, we're going to have to really work hard to push ourselves up out of the financial mess we're in. Some of us grew up to think that broke is normal and debt is normal. It is not. Be weird that way. Get just uh, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being financially broke. Number two, start working today to get out of debt and don't take on any more debt. <laughs> I, well, David, I can get another card and I can transfer that imbalance to that. See, debt-free living liberates your life and increases your potential for generosity. I've preached on this multiple times. We even had a campaign here called G-O-O-D, Get Out of Debt. Why? Because there is no long-term freedom or liberty found in financial bondage, only pressure and payment plans. Now, some debt is understandable initially. It's hard to buy a house without having a mortgage, maybe a car. I'm concerned about the amount of student loan debt that our students right here in this room are going to be bearing. Some debt is understandable, but let me tell you what, some is unsustainable and unwise, especially if you don't have a plan on how you're going to get out of it. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, this is hard work. Being broke is easy. Digging yourself out 
requires discipline and help. It'll feel like you're swimming against the cultural tide. And I believe the main culprit of why most of you in this room, most of you watching online are in trouble is consumer debt found in credit cards. Is this not true? Not a week goes by, I don't get a mail in the mail, a letter from a credit card company offering me a new credit card because of my good credit standing. I was getting those things when I had no good credit, right? Everybody's qualified, right? Everybody is in good credit as far as they're concerned. I know some of your kids play select sports. Can I just tell you, every kid's select. I've seen some of the select teams. They ain't select. The same thing is true with credit. You're not as wealthy as they tell you you are. If I said yes, oh, I'll get an email about that. If I, if, if I said yes to the, all the credit card applications that I got, I spent the max on all those cards. Oh, what fun it would be for about 25 days. Used to be 30. Now they've moved that up in the 20s. I don't know if you noticed to pay that back. Then I would be broke and underwater in a way you cannot imagine. I would understand what the Bible means when it says that the debtor is slave to the lender. I'm tired of being a slave to sin, a slave to debt. Larry Burkett, Christian financial expert, said that most Christians these days are now paying 10% of their income each year in interest alone, which is why I think people are unable or unwilling to give anything back to God. We don't give 10% to God. We're giving it 10% to somebody else who is far from God. Honestly, we have a pretty high percentage of folks, if you want to know the truth, in the category of giving God nothing. And I may be naive, and may be the pastor coming out in me, but I'm choosing to believe today, if you're watching or in this room that, that, and you're not giving, I'm choosing to believe that you're not doing that, not because you're stingy, but because you're strapped. Not because you're withholding, it's because you're just trying to survive. Now, I know some of you, praise God for you, are good money managers. And like me, you pay off your credit card each month with no interest. <laughs> I found out not long ago, do you know what some in the credit card industry call folks like you and me who never keep a balanced revolving transfer, they pay it off each month? You know what they call us in the credit card industry? Deadbeats. <laughs> That's like the opposite, isn't it? I call you a genius. Anytime you use somebody else's money and not have to pay for it, it's a good thing. But they're counting on you not being able to do that. Well, that's my credit card rant. Forgive me, Lord. And if you have select kids, praise God for you. <laughs> Number three. Number three. Make a commitment to get out. Get out of debt. Don't add any more debt. Number three, put, we've been talking about this all day, put God first. Put God first. Don't put him last. Put him first. The Bible calls this a tithe. I'm going to just be so bold to say this. If you're not giving anything to God, you will never get out of debt, in my opinion. For some of you, he's the only thing, the only hope you have of getting out of the mess that you're in. His supernatural power will come your way. 
I shovel it out, God shovels it back in, but he's got a bigger shovel. Here's the truth. Some of us give more to our waiter or our door dasher than we give to God. Some of us need to move from tipping to tithing. It just feels wrong when we're giving our dasher a higher amount than we give to God. God says over in Malachi, test me. Oh, it's one of the few times God ever said, try me, just see. In fact, we're going to come back to that at the end of our series and offer a test for you to trust God. One easy way to do this that works for me is I call it automating the important. It's simply to sign up to be an e-giver. I pick an amount, you pick an amount, sign up through our website or app. The reason we've been able to make it through COVID is because people are signing up for that app and our electronic giving is higher than ever and people are mailing in checks, which is awesome. Thank you for that. But automate the important. Pick a number, pick a percent, and give to God first. Not last, first. And watch and see what God does. I know what you're thinking. Well, David, I can't do 10%. Okay, well, start with 11%. Um, Oh, oh, I got you there. Start somewhere, anywhere. Start working your way back up. Number four, develop a written generosity plan. A written generosity plan. We call that a budget. And then you live by that budget. There is a reason that the most successful and wealthiest people in the world live on a budget, even though they shouldn't have to. Budgets help you consume less. You tell the money where it goes rather than the money tells you where it goes. That's not even my notes. That is really good right there. Somebody remind me of that for next service. Budgeting, you tell your money where it's going rather than you, it telling you where you're going. But you consume less. You trust God more. You create margin. Life is better When you live with margin and live on mission, live with margin, live on mission, a lot less pressure. If your only plan, listen to me now, if your only plan to keep from drowning and to get unstuck or unbroke for Jesus, if your only plan to bail you out is for Jesus to come back to earth this week and everything in in, in time, then that's a bad plan. You're in trouble. This is why Proverbs 21, 5 says this, dishonest money dwindles away. Remember, you're not going to steal your way out, cheat your way out. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Big doors swing on small hinges. I remember my dad saying, son, don't worry about the 50s. Don't worry about the $100 bills. You worry about where the ones are going. The 50s will take care of themselves. Number five, set an attainable time frame to get out of debt, an attainable time frame. For some of you, it's going to take a while, and that's discouraging, but get out. We live in such an instant microwave culture, but delayed gratification is a discipline that God blesses. So you're going to have to take for some of us a crockpot, not a crackpot approach, a crockpot approach, little by little. In the Bible, God instructed his people not to be in debt more than seven years. That was his number. You can borrow, but don't be in debt more than seven years. And that was like a commandment. And every 49 years, everything went back to its original owner, the land, everything. It's like a year of Jubilee came. Dave Ramsey advised paying the smallest debt off first, 
develop that debt snowball, gain momentum, and when you pay off that small debt, you use that same money to apply that to the next one in line and kind of get some momentum kind of coming up from the bottom of the tank. So just set a date. If you're at the bottom, set a date, get you a budget, and adjust your lifestyle accordingly. That means you're going to have to differentiate between a need and a want. It means you young people, and again, I'm getting old so I can say this, you won't get everything you want next week in your life that people in their 50s or 60s or 70s have acquired. You just can't get that. But Dave, I can borrow. Yep, I'll see you at the bottom. It will take some discipline, delayed gratification, probably some accountability. But I just want to applaud every single one of you today as a church, no matter how small, we're going to help and cheer each other up, get off the bottom of that tank. The natural gravitational pull of our culture is buy it now, pay for it later, but it will drown you. So today is part one of I was broke, and I thank God that many of you can say, I was broke, now I'm not. Those are the category of people who are standing above the fray and still happy about it. Those are the people who in this room have been saying amen. You hear them every once in a while. They know what I'm talking about. And just an FYI, I hope you hear this from my heart. Whether you never give a dime here or anywhere else, I'm sharing these things to you because I've seen the difference it makes in my own life. And I want you to succeed too. I've been down there. I've been floating. I don't ever want to go back there. And I want something for you. Don't hear me, what I'm not saying. I want you to go on a great vacation. I want you to drive a car that doesn't break down every week. And the air conditioning works all the time. I want you to live in a house where you can raise your family and have a large enough table and room to invite friends and enemies to share a meal. See, I listened last week. I listened to the message. And you can actually do all those things and be generous and still live without debt. I want you to have enough money to retire when and where you want. I don't expect all of your money to be given to God through this church, even though some misguided pastors have taught this. Here's what I do expect. I expect you to be generous and bless others as you have been blessed. And I think our mission here at this church is worthy of your generosity. So if you're underwater or you're treading water, there is hope. We're going to dig into this book. I want everybody to be up here. I want you to kind of be standing on top. No matter what category that you are in, we want to help you. And can I just say this right now? If you're underwater in this room and you're watching online, our Life Center is their next call this week. We have people pray for you, talk with you, fill out an application. They'll try to kind of delve into the roots, not the fruits of your cycle of poverty. That's the business we're in. We're here to help you. We're not saying good luck down there. We want to help you. If this is you, man, we got some work to do. We want everybody to get to the place where we can raise our hands in victory and say, thank you, God. I'm encouraging you to start climbing out of that tank, start living above it. And like Peter, stop sinking, start walking on water with faith in trust in Jesus. And when you get on top of things, and some of you are there right now, it's not what you're 
spending, the question of your life is what will I keep in light of the fact that I won't have it forever? How could I invest in other people and rescue? For some of us, we need to do a deep dive again about why God gave us our wealth. Friend, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's when money has you. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it says. He's not a beggar. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. What he wants is your heart. That's why Martin Luther, famous Christian leader years ago, was fond of saying that every Christian really experiences three conversions. The conversion of the mind, got to think differently. The conversion of the heart, he said, you got to feel differently. And the conversion of the wallet. The mind, the heart, the wallet. Those are the things we need to immerse our lives by the Word. To let the the water of the Word and the truth of the Word wash over us. So here's your homework this week. Got a little homework for you. Not to buy action figures. In fact, if you like WWF, you might want to come see me. I got like three of them. Who knows what I'm going to do with these when we're done with this series. But anyway, here's your homework. Every time you touch water this week, I want you to think about this message. Every time you touch water, I want you to remember, am I drowning? Am I treading water? Am I walking on water? Every time you wash dishes, every time you take a shower, and we hope you do that, every time you brush your teeth, I want the water to stir in your life. I want you to think about, like, where am I and what am I going to do? And here's the cool thing. And we're going to head into communion, and you think, well, David, that's how are you going to get to communion from here? <laughs> All right, watch this. Here's what Jesus did. When Jesus died on the cross, we were weighted down with sin, a load, drowning in our sin and messiness. And when he died, he reached down low and snagged us out of the pit of despair, broke the chains in our life and set us free. He reached down and raised us up high. That's what he did on the cross. Ooh, that was pretty good. I might do that again next sir. <laughs> he took, if you want to use that word, he took the big dipper of grace and love and scooped us right out. Because some of us have been down so low and so long that it feels normal to us to be broke. It's not normal. There's a better way. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in this series.